Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, the final one before Christmas, where this week my special guest is Caitlin Limmer. In 2004, Caitlin's husband was told she had just 40 minutes to live. This illness and an additional rare blood cancer has made her grab every opportunity life has thrown her way ever since. And Caitlin is committed to enabling others to do the same. Over the past 19 years, Caitlin has run 18 marathons, swum ultramarathons, cycled the Prudential 100 Ride London, raced thousands of pounds for and become patron of the blood cancer charity MDS Patient Support Group. She is an accredited coach working with individuals and businesses and is also running mayor of West London, ambassador to Lululemon and Digney Fitness. If all of this isn't enough, Caitlin has set up a thriving community running club and won the Prime Minister's Point of Light Award in 2015, being praised by former Prime Minister David Cameron for tireless dedication. You can file this podcast under the term inspirational, and I really look forward to you enjoying this conversation with Caitlin. I want to say thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Ellis Brigham and Visit Malta, who I'll talk a little bit about later in this episode. But for now, let's jump straight into this conversation with Caitlin Limmer. Caitlin, welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. Thank you so much for joining me in person. It's great to have mm. you here. Um, and I'm going to kick off this podcast with an opening tradition that I do on every episode. And it's offering you a piece of advice. And that advice doesn't come from me. It comes from a previous guest on the podcast. And this advice comes from um, Raphael Alaya, who is a doctor, a TV presenter, and an athlete, all moulded into one. And his advice is, when you're promoting yourself, promote yourself as if you are your biggest fan, which he goes on to describe about being self-belief. And it's like, if you can't promote yourself as being the best version of you, then no one else is going to do it. So what's your instant reaction to that? Oh, I love it. And it's taken me until probably this very day... (laughs) To really believe in that and to really... I remember someone said to me quite recently, uh, well, a couple of years ago, she said, Caitlin, you're really standing in that light now. And, uh, you know, I think I've hovered around the edges for far too long. And baby, I'm here now. (laughs) We're here. So, and I'm, I'm happy and I'm proud. And yes, I would say totally. Self belief, know who you are, live the life that proves you know who you are. There's another tradition that I ask to everyone, and it's purposefully vague, so it allows you to take it where you want, Uh, but what do you love about being outside and active? Oh, what do I love? I love, oh, it makes me feel enormous. I am enormous, I'm five foot ten anyway, but uh, (laughs) it makes me feel like I want to just open my arms up and embrace the world and grab the world and... Turn around in the middle of Richmond Park and do circles and go, come on, what have you got for me today? And that's what being outside and active does for me. You feel a sort of connection with nature when you're outdoors or is it slightly different? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's more sort of uh, not necessarily the leaves and trees and things like that. I think it's more the sort of air and the sunlight and uh, yeah. yeah, there is a connection, but I can't, I, I've never really stopped to think about that uh, for very long. But it's definitely something that fills that medicine tank uh, and it makes me a bit, ah, you know, come on. That's what it does for me. Okay. The, often with businesses and companies, there's a, like, there's a, a mission statement, and a set of values that they have. And it made me think, for you, what's Caitlin's mission statement? If you had to 
push it together into kind of a, a knot. What's your, this is my one liner that sort of drives mm. me every day. Um, it's That's easy. And it's the title of the TED talk that I'm going to be giving in January. And it's don't wait for your final 40 minutes. Because that's what happened to me. I was given 40 minutes and luckily they weren't my final ones. But that is my mission statement. And it wasn't just the impact it had on me. It was, I want this for everyone else. I want everyone else to recognise this before it's too late. And I think people listening to the intro would have heard a bit more context around that, the context around that 40 minutes. But just in your words as well, because um, I think it will form the basis of what we're going to go on to talk about and also really what has been part of your life since, was it 2004? That's that right. Occasion? So just tell me about that time. Um, it was uh, partly due, due to childbirth, partly due to an undiagnosed blood cancer, which I still live with. Um, and I was on Last Chance Saloon and nobody had really seen it coming. Um, and I had to have pioneering new surgery. I had several operations, um, the wonderful woman that I, I always say she saved my life. She would disagree because she <laughs> said she couldn't save my life and she passed me on to someone else. Um, but it was, it was an illness that happened a moment in time for several months. I lost three stone in weight. I couldn't walk very well. I was catheterized for months on end. I was uh, pumping heparin. For far too long, I wore incredibly sexy, uh, full-length um, support tights, and uh, yeah. our wonderful NHS could only provide me three pairs of tights over two years, and <laughs> they started off white, they didn't end up white, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was an experience that I don't regret, that has shaped the next 20 years of my life, and... I'm very grateful for it. Even even living with this um, blood cancer now, it's okay. It's okay. It's a good thing. It pushes me on. And because I remember listening to a podcast that you were on before saying about someone said to you, I think it was a quote, it was kind of they're following along your journey and kind of going, well, it's the when, not if, mm. and living with that sort of, for want of a better phrase, that, that over your head. Mm. But how do you view that? Uh, well, uh, with scepticism, because that when hasn't been happening. Very true. So, uh, and I do challenge them on that quite regularly when I speak to them up at King's. Um, but I think it's no bad thing. And I almost wish that other people could have that, <laughs> that awful thing, because it does help me make some decisions, some big decisions in my life, because I always have in my mind and I often forget about it but when those big decisions come to me I think Caitlin don't forget this is supposed to be in the game plan this transplant that you were supposed to have 11 years ago bone marrow yeah yeah bone marrow it might not have happened yet I've had family members tested for it um but it's still on the cards mm. and uh yeah, I believe it when I see it. But uh, yeah, I'm pushing it away at the moment. And that was sort of 18 years ago. And I'm interested... Nearly 20, yeah. Yeah, I suppose mm. so. Yeah. I'm interested to know how your mindset might have changed. So say the 20 years since compared to the years before that. Mm. Can you kind of see a quite 
tangible difference in your mindset of those two times? Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was thinking about this recently, actually, because I think the thing is, what I want people to understand is that I was no different to everyone else before. I was leading a reasonably good life. You know, it was fine. It was, you know, I was doing things that I thought I enjoyed. I was an opera singer for a period of time. That was fun. I was having... Yeah, I was married, I was happy. But um, this happening to me, um, I, I refer to it as a sort of thunderbolt effect that sort of ricocheted through me. And uh, it just sharpened my senses to life, I suppose. I've never put it like that before, but it's that's what it was. It made me go, come on, come on, love, stop, stop. Well, you know, do you love what you're doing? Okay, that's fine. If you don't love it, don't do it. Do you do you want to be with that person? Okay, great, do that. But, you know, just only do the things that matter to you. It puts like a hard filter on your life, I imagine. Makes you think, yeah, like you just said, mm. I'm only going to uh, interact with people and do things with people that I, you know, really value and have that mm. time with. I mean, what was your relationship with health and fitness before 2004? Yeah, you know, I was uh, average, average. I used to, I think I did about three runs in my life before that. Um, my mother, bless her, lovely lady, she uh, she would big me up and say I was a fantastic swimmer. Yeah, I wasn't. That was when I was 12 and she still <laughs> remembers the day. Um, yeah, I, I was average. I was, I, you know, I was very lucky. I had the opportunity at school, you know, I went to a good school that had sporting things involved with it and you know I had those opportunities but I wasn't I wasn't passionate about sport in any way you know it's just something you did a bit of yeah so why did running then become part of your life after 2004 yeah well they'd said to me after um well while I was ill because of all this heparin that I'd been pumping into myself that my bone density was going to be uh, put at risk and within a year I would have to have a bone density scan because I was high risk osteoporosis because of all the drugs and so something in me said osteoporosis oh you know I've got to I've got to do something to counteract that and you know I thought weight bearing exercise and I, I don't know I'd read a few magazines I didn't know really what I was talking about and I thought well I'll, I'll go and try running I hate running <laughs> I you know oh it conjures up all those awful images of, there's a lot of people that will be oh, able to relate to that oh still. We'll, yeah of course I mean I you know I have no shame in saying it's a love-hate relationship <laughs> you know I'm, not, I'm sure the elites would probably say that on some <laughs> days um but yeah so I I started running because I thought, well, Caitlin, you've got to help yourself here, love. You know, um, running, try running, see if that helps this scan in 12 months' time. And it did. It did. And then I just fell in love with it. Uh, weird, weird, fall in love with running. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't built for running. I was one of those people that said, I've got big bones. I'm, I'm too big and too cumbersome to run around. But I... I I found that I could, and it didn't matter what size you were. Um, the benefits were around every, every corner, and they came quite quickly.
just going to jump in this conversation to tell you a little bit about Ellis Brigham. Athlete tested, expedition proven. Check out the new Summit series from the North Face, which redefines backcountry snow sports clothing. Using Gore-Tex Pro for durable, waterproof and breathable performance, guaranteed. The link to check out this product is in the podcast description. So this, in, that, like I said, that first 12 months is sort of an, quite an individual thing. You're doing it for a certain reason. It's probably mm. not so much to do with the running and how it's making you feel. It's more of a physical impact that you're trying to get from it. But that fall in love with running, which a lot of people listening to this will be able to understand, something that I, I kind of understood. I Someone's asked me, like, when, when did you go from hating running, which I did, lockdown mm. runner, very much disliked it, to then mm. being someone who goes out and runs because they enjoy it in a cold, dark morning. Mm. For you, was it an overnight thing or is it this gradual thing of, like, I'm doing this for my physical well-being? It's now impacting my mental well-being and it's just become something that's part of my life and important to my routine. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I remember doing my first ever running event and it was an event called Cabbage Patch 10 in Twickenham, which... Bizarrely, I went on to be the race director of. What an honour. What an honour. Yeah. Funny full. What a story. What a story. So at the time, my mate, um, a wonderful man uh, called Frank Dupre and Malcolm Ellis, they'd founded the race. And Frank said to me, you know, he'd heard I'd started running and he said, Oh, come on, darling, you, you can do my race. You can, you can. I didn't, I didn't know what races were then. I didn't know what running events were. I thought they were just for club runners. And I was like, "Can I do ten, 10 miles, Frank? That's a very long <laughs> way, you know." And I've been ill, and you know, I can't. Oh, I'm only doing two miles. And he was like, "Yeah, come on, darling, you can do it. Doesn't matter if you're last." And I was like, "Well, I'm going to hold you to that because I probably <laughs> will be." And I think it was crossing that finish line, and. Him being so proud of me, uh, this um, amazing man, um, and and that belief, that uh, belief that we spoke about right at the start, my goodness, you've just run 10 miles, albeit at a snail's pace. I don't care. Get out there and run, everyone. (laughs) Don't, Don't worry about the pace. Go and claim the benefits. But uh, I think that's when the uh, the doors of uh, the lessons probably started uh, opening to me. I mean, you said there the, just before the three runs before 2004, but since mm. then it's been 18 marathons. You swam ultramarathons, mm-hmm. uh, cycling, we were just speaking about before mm-hmm. uh, we came on to, to record. Cycling's a massive part of your life as well. And in the meantime, doing all of that, raising thousands of pounds of money for charity... Mm. The swimming was something that really um, pulled me out. You just said up there about, you know, mother would say, 12 years old, great swimmer. Swimming ultramarathons is not something that I've really dived into too much with that, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so the swimming, that, there's an interesting little story uh, with that. So I had to stop running overnight. I, uh, I suffered a massive seizure in the middle of the night in... 2000 and oh can't remember (laughs) but it was really bad and uh it was massive and it was related to a back issue and um and my husband thought I'd died again (laughs) and we had ambulances and oh it was horrific 
Um, and it was so bad that I thought I, I've got to give up running because I was I, the, I was getting back problems and um, and I was terrified of ever having this massive seizure again. So I said to him, right, that's it. I'm stopping running from one day to the next. And he said to me, what do you mean? You're never going to be able to do that. You know, I'd fallen hook, line and sinker for this thing called running. But I was like, no, I'm fine. I, I've had such a good time with it already. I'll find something else. And I did. And, uh, and I found open water swimming. I thought, well, I can't run. So I've got to do something else. What else, can, what's ha- what else is out there? And I found the open water and I found this beautiful haven called Shepparton Lake, which mm. many people will know. And uh, in my in my way, I I hurled myself in that water, fell in love with it very quickly again, fell in love with the people that ran it, uh, amazing people. Big shout out to Shepparton, <laughs> John Starbrook, are you listening? Um, and set myself a big goal because that's where I'm happy, challenging myself. So I set myself a goal of. The Henley, I think it's nine miles, um, and I just used to go to Shepparton at five in the morning when they opened up, and swim and swim and swim, and the poor people were going, "Is she out yet? Oh, come on, we want to go home." <laughs> and it was amazing, um, and again, it was the therapy for my mind that I couldn't get from the running, and uh, it was again teaching me things about myself. And my goodness, you know, I was, before I knew it, I was swimming an ultra marathon down the Thames (laughs) in a very, uh, very, not inappropriate, but wrong wetsuit. (laughs) It wasn't inappropriate in any way. Um, But I froze. I got far too cold. They tried to pull me out. I said, you're not pulling me out. I've got thousands of pounds (laughs) on this for charity. And, uh, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. I loved it. And i did Shep- uh, did uh, Serpentine again last year. Got that big medal from the London Marathon events, the old three-event three medal. And, yeah, so for me, you know, okay, I had to stop running overnight. Thought that was it, thought that was it, never again. And very slowly I've clawed my way back into running, and I do it very differently now. I run walk now, no shame, no shame at all. Uh, that's over the longer distance, I can a smaller distance without walking but um yeah i'm back in the game ran brighton last year gonna do paris next year amazing and i'm using running now in a very different way uh it's helping me in in a different part of my life a different stage in my life i run with a a gorgeous woman who's 68 she ran her first marathon sorry sorry Yuta. <laughs> just uh, it was all over, it. it was all over the brighton marathon facebook but we go out and we do our long runs and we change the world. We write books together. <laughs> We've really got to put it down on paper. But um, she's phenomenal. She's a primary school teacher. And we just chew the cud big time in life. And we, uh, we're two very wise women. Our second sponsor this week is Visit Malta. Lace up your running shoes. The Lavalette Marathon on the 24th of March 2024 promises an unforgettable run along Malta's stunning coast. Choose your challenge, half marathon, full marathon, walkathon, relays or corporate teams. Don't miss out 
on the scenic views. Are you ready to conquer Malta? Sign up now at lavalettemarathon.com and again, the link to that is in the podcast description. You know, I've picked up from a lot of what you've just said there. It's very seem to be very good at adapting to situations and I think it's also very refreshing you saying about injury, back injury, not being able to run um, and I'm someone who's so impatient when it comes to injury and I'd go, oh, I can't run now, like this is ruined this plan I had for training whereas listening to you say that okay I can't run what else can I do what else is mm. going to scratch that itch yeah. swimming was that was that thing for that time and then obviously mm. like you said I've been able to adapt back into running um in your own way and using it for a different reason is that something you would characterize with yourself that sort yeah. of being able to adapt to situations that happen absolutely absolutely I'm not I'm not frightened of that in life um it's, it's. I remember sitting on the sofa and, and writing a list of all the things that I wanted to do other than running. I was totally fine with it. Totally fine. There's so much else out there uh, physically. You know, I mean, this is what your podcast is about. You know, it's outdoor and active. It's, you know, what else is there? And, you know, then I did the swimming. Then I, then I got on the bike and... <laughs> my poor friend, I'm, I borrowed a tandem off someone and... Uh, we did ride London, a hundred on a tandem, and we had a hysterical time. My Chinese friend was on the back. She's half my height. She, uh, yeah, she used profanities almost every mile. <laughs> <laughs> and we had, an, again, an amazing experience. And um, we loved it. And I'm sure she didn't pedal any of the miles. I'm sure I did all of the work. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it, you've got to you've got to adapt to life cha- life's challenges. You know, if you can. I mean, I understand that for some people, you know, they get stuck. And of course, that <laughs> that's the next part of my career. I help people when they are stuck with coaching. That's one of the things I do. But uh, making people think it's okay. You know, okay, you love that. You found that. Look at what else is out there. There's so many other wonderful things out there. You're so right about the conversations you can have with people. Anything from turning up to a park run for the first time and meeting someone new to taking on a 100-mile cycling races and just the conversations that you can have. And especially, I think one of the misconceptions of running is that if I have to go out running, I have to go out on my own and just sort of sprint the whole time, like try and beat, uh, beat times, get PBs, go further the entire time. Some of the best runs and some of the best, you know, outdoor activities, whether it be a walk, a cycle or anything like that, being able to do it with someone, a friend, a family member, a colleague, Mm. enjoy the outdoors and being able to do it at a conversational pace, which is, again, so important in running. And that kind of made me think, just thinking about that, asking you about some other misconceptions that people have about running that obviously you as a coach and, and, and the run club that people will come to you and say, oh, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, mm. or I am i don't fit into the mould of being a runner. So what are some of those misconceptions that you hear? Um, I think, it, well, it is that, that self-belief, you know, and I think that's the whole reason why I started the Bearcat Running Club is because I wanted to provide another environment for runners. And, and the great thing is, out there now, there are so many other running communities like what I've started up. Um, I wanted to provide an environment where people would feel comfortable walking in. Now, I'm not 
saying here that uh, athletic running clubs aren't brilliant. Of course they are. But they aren't for everyone. And running is for everyone. Mm. And... Um, and I just want to go back to something you said there about the conversation. And of course, <laughs> when you talk about conversational pace, that is the pace we should be running at when we're doing our long, slow distance runs. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but there's something I say about running. It's uh, I always think that running leaves you naked, not literally, but it leaves you naked as a, a human being. Because when we run, we cannot be anything other than we who we really are. We can't pretend that we are brilliant at running if we're not. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, I can't hide that I am not a fast runner and I never have tried. And we can't pretend that if, you know, if we've got something going on in life, it will come out on that run. And you will have a chat with someone or someone might say, how are you? Um, potentially, you know, there's a forum for it to come out. Um, so yeah, so the misconceptions, the misconceptions of running that, uh, gosh, that you have to be a certain size, a certain shape, a certain discipline. You have to do it a certain amount of times a week. Running can be exactly what you want it to be. It can be slow. It can be fast. It can be everywhere in between. You can be <laughs> nine. You can be 99, my goodness, Mr. John Starbrook, who I spoke about earlier. He's not 99. Sorry, John, you aren't. But uh, <laughs> he was one of the oldest gentlemen to run the London Marathon a few years ago. What an inspiration. You know, look at all those people that are still running or power walking around London. You know, we are never too old or too young to do these things. It is all in the head and uh, sometimes we have to deal with the heads to get over those first hurdles. Well, that kind of leads me on nicely to asking you about what running can do for other parts of your life. We spoke about mm. earlier of the physical reason of why you started running um, mm. to bone density and looking after yourself in that way. But the mental impact uh, mm. that it has on people and I imagine your own mental well-being as well. Mm. It's massive. People talk about runners highs mm. and also just being able to let go of stresses at work, stresses with life, and being able to go out and have that X amount of time on your own. What are the skills and characteristics you get from running that you can take into the rest of your life? Um, for me, there are three lessons that I'll talk about now, and I'm going to talk about them in my TED Talk. But running, for me, will help people highlight what really matters in their life, what their, their passion is. Um, for me, it fine-tuned what I really wanted to do. And it wasn't the running I really wanted to do. It was enabling other people to run to find their answers. Um, so I'd found that, I call it my, ugh. Uh, <laughs> so some people mishear me sometimes and think I'm going, ugh. Oh, well, that doesn't come across very well, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> but it's that thing inside you, you know, people refer to it, the passion, the fire, the inspiration, whatever. Yeah. That real, ugh. Um, I think running can help people find what matters to them. The other things I think running teaches us is um the the confidence the confidence to then do other things in our life 
if I can run 5K, what else can I do? If I can run a marathon, I heard, I heard one of my friends say it on Saturday. That was Yuta, who I was referring to earlier. She said, I crossed that finish line of Brighton and I thought, I've done this. Now what else can I do? And that is the, <laughs> the pivotal thing with running. It opens an Aladdin's cave of life to people. You know, and, and that is the brilliant thing. You know, literally look at it as a cave of gems that you hadn't seen before or that genie coming out of the lamp. It's all there for the taking. And it, so it's not just the running. Um, you know, I know my, my thoughts on it might be different to some people, but for me, it is the lessons that we learn about ourselves and how we then apply them, whether it's to our relationship, whether it's to our job, whether it's to, I don't know, any goals that we've got, writing a book. The running will help you achieve all of those things, improve that life. And through coaching and Bearcat, like you said, the run club, you said earlier about that person who watched you cross the finish line and you he said about that seeing your success made him happy. Mm. Seeing other people's success that have come into your life that you've met and you've learned about their stories, when you see them achieve goals that they maybe never thought they would, how does that impact you? It's my lottery win. It's my millions. It's uh, it's ka-ching, ka-ching. I, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, much to my children's uh, <laughs> unhappiness, my career <laughs> has never earned me much money. I have no desire to earn vast amounts of money from work. I have desire to, uh, oh, I don't want to use the expression film a cup, but I'm going to use it. Uh, but, it, you know, what greater thing is there? I mean, I got a message this morning from someone. And she said she had a conversation with someone yesterday at the Bearcat Running Club. And the reason she'd come was because of something she'd heard me say, actually, on the Jenny Faulkner uh, podcast. And it had given her that little bit of confidence to come. Um, and for me, that is, that is my wage this week. <laughs> That's better than anything. If I go to my grave knowing that I have helped a lot of people, which I'm not even going to say one person, because I know, I get the emails, I get the WhatsApp messages regularly. And I'm again, I'm going to say that loud and proud now. Absolutely. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I know I've affected a lot of people. And uh, yeah, it's a cool thing. That's better than an Oscar. <laughs> they say that about mental health training. I was fortunate enough to be mental health trained mm. um, at university. And they say there will be a group of X amount of people in this room, whether it's 100 or three. And if you affect one person in a positive way, mm -hmm. then that makes everything that we are doing that you have done worth it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you see that real feedback through messages, through mm -hmm. emails, through conversations that you have in person. Mm -hmm. I'm sure when people stop you or like message in emails, you are seeing that impact. And, and it's nice to hear you say that that for you is just, Winning the lottery, mm. it is everything. It is everything. I mean, what does money matter when you've got that? And that's, you know, that's what my ugh is. It's people. People are my, my millions. I'm excited for your answer to this question. Oh, dear. <laughs> what is your opinion of the running community? Oh, that's quite a broad question. Mm. 
the running community, my opinion of the running community, there's quite a few arms of the running community. Um, I'll just go with what's coming up in my head. My opinion of the running community is that it is changing beautifully and it is opening up. And I'm immediately thinking of another friend of mine uh, called Tash who started up Black Girls Do Run. And I'm thinking about all the amazing things that the London Marathon are doing for community. And that is my opinion of the running community, these wonderful offshoots that are starting to happen, the ripple effects, they're not ripples anymore, they're turning into waves, and that is exciting. Running is becoming more available, and give it, well, I don't know, that's why I went into it, I wanted, I saw that sort of, not gap in the market, because I wasn't looking for a market, but I just, I thought there must be people like me out there that want to do this, but don't have a lot of confidence, or, you know, they didn't have the desire to do the PB, Uh, I mean, and, you know, yeah, running is, is really broadening out, and where will it be in 50 years' time? Let me work it out. How old will I be? 102. <laughs> I really hope, <laughs> I really hope I get to see where it is. Where do you think it's going to be in 50 years' time? Hopefully still a place where people can feel welcomed and accessible um, because I think you're so right saying about like Tash Black Girls Do Run. Mm. There's another example of um, Muslim hikers is growing mm. as well oh, in that yes. community. And I think having those people that um, kind of take the strides and prove to younger generations or even their peers that they can also do what maybe they previously thought they hadn't. And I think that's why I asked you the question in quite a vague way, because everyone has their own sort of journey into the running community. Um, And it's interesting to see how people find themselves in it. I mean, like working at an organisation that organises a national running show, you kind of just get forced into it and it running becomes um, not a chore. It becomes something you, you're, you're welcomed into and you realise that these are all, like you said, different arms of running. You have your park run runners, you have the people that you know just go on their own every week, the, the run clubs, you have the ultra marathon runners, like the, the guy that's uh, Russ who's running up Africa at the moment. You have all of that and everything in between. But I always find that the support for running is for peers and events people that finish in the top 100 and then stay and watch everyone else finish and mm. clap and are happy for them unreal that's a real uh bugbear of mine is not the right word now because it used to be a bugbear of mine and it's uh my, my runners i always say to them you will stay till the last person has crossed that finish line and i oh gosh luckily it has changed now and um you know, and it's changed because we've seen a lot of people unhappy when when things have been packed away. And with wonderful social media, you know, uh, everyone's been made aware this cannot be. That person over the start line and over the finish line first and that person over the finish line last are equally brilliant and valuable. And uh, that is a wonderful change that's happened. Um, yeah. It, it, it really matters, and that's something I've banged on about for years, and I'm proud to have done it. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about race director. Um, 
Can you tell me how that sort of came about and how that plays a part in your life now? Mm, okay, so um, I wanted to reinstate a race. It was a pub race called the Turk's Head 10. Now, it started off as a 10-mile race many, many years ago um, from the Turk's Head pub in St. Margaret's, and the, the uh, landlord used to organise it. And I'm sorry, Chris Brasher, he used to organise it quite loosely. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> He'd be quite happy with that. Anyway, it, it disappeared uh, into the world somewhere, nowhere. And I heard about this and I thought, I want to reinstate this. I want to make it into a real community event. And uh, so I, I asked Fullers if they would help me um, because it's related to their pub. And uh, they did. And I learnt from the ground up <laughs> with very little help how to become a race director. And I did everything uh, on that race. And I still do on that race. Um, I had a wonderful man who's sadly died now who helped me learn how to do a finish line well and he was brilliant um, and I've developed a running event that I am mighty proud of that is probably the biggest most genuine community event out there my goodness we had a horse cross the finish line <laughs> last year you know out of context that's amazing <laughs> but <the laughs> Um, but that's because of our links with Park Lane Stables and Riding for the Disabled. Yep. Um, but it is an event where the run is, yes, of course it's important. I know virtually every name of the p people that cross that finish line. People always joke with me. They're like, how do you know so many people? Uh, but then we, we all go to the pub afterwards and we dance and we celebrate each other and it is just awesome and it you know we have to kind of <laughs> say it's closing time now come on off <laughs> it's a brilliant day but then I got the opportunity to um my dear friends Frank and Malcolm who I spoke of earlier um they were organizing Cabbage Patch 10 and they were getting on a bit weren't you guys you're all getting on a bit <laughs> a lot of this podcast has been you aging people <laughs> oh dear yeah and you know what that's uh that's only a positive in my book these are the biggest inspirations in my life these people um so <laughs> age is not a number it's uh it's wisdom is experience it's oh it's wonderful actually uh we've got a lot to give but uh, they gave me the opportunity to put on um, the race. Uh, they handed it over to me for a few years, and I did it for a few years, and I was proud of what I achieved. I made a lot more charitable money on it. Uh, we had great fun. We even did a flash mob outside the pub once to raise awareness of myelodysplastic syndrome, my, my blood cancer. Um, but then I uh, had to decide to to stop being that race director. Um, I shan't go into the reasons why. It's uh, not, no great interest to anyone. But, um, yeah, and it also I think I, I knew that, you know, race directing is great and I knew I was making an impact. But one of those many reasons for stopping that was I knew in my heart it wasn't what I was really passionate about, the minutiae 
of race directing, and that was a tricky race. Um, so I, I, I took a good look at what mattered in my life at that point, and um, and that, along with a, a lot of other decisions, um, yeah, I, I, I passed that on. There's a couple of other exciting things I want to ask you about. Um, one of the things you've, you've mentioned quite a few times, uh, the, the TED Talk coming up, but just before that... Um, this life that you're living now opens you up to lots of different opportunities, which we've gathered from this conversation you want to take and want to grasp. Working with brands such as Lululemon, and I know there are more, how important is that in your journey and, and working with brands and how does that relationship sort of work? Mm. Um, if I'm totally honest, working with brands is not something that's important to me at all. Um, it's not. You know, it, it's, it, well, I thought it wasn't, but actually my relationship with Lululemon has <laughs> opened my eyes because they've given the community that I have a huge amount of opportunities. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I, always, <laughs> I always used to say, I'm very, well, I'm very careful who I align myself and my community with. Um, I'm often asked to promote businesses and people along with what I do. Um, and to use the expression, uh, I don't want to prostitute my, <laughs> my runners or my community to everyone. I, you know, my community is very dear to me. And, um, and I know that if I align myself with something, it has to be for a very, very careful reason. Um, and the reason I went with Lululemon was because they offered my community so much in return. And, um, and it enabled me to give back the most wonderful clothing to people that had helped within our community for years. I mean, just the most amazing gifts. I was able to go, right, it's your turn now. Go in, go in, treat yourself. And that was fantastic. Um, but it's not it's not something I seek out. It's not the pivotal, as we've spoken about. It's not the, you're not doing this to be associated with XYZ brand. You're doing this because of that community and that idea of that, what you get back from people and seeing mm. their success, as you said, that's that's mm. your that's your mm. check that you cash. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, yes, I'm on Instagram. Yes, I'm on Facebook. But <laughs> I'm not on there for the reasons any other than to spread the word and the genuine word but also I think another and we go back to that age thing and it's it's important to highlight you know I, I'm talking about age from a very positive stance um, and I think something I was enormously proud of at Lululemon was my age because a lot of the other ambassadors that I came in contact with were massively younger than me and I was so proud I <clears throat> I actually cried when they offered it to me because I just thought you know they they're seeing my value still uh, at this age and I mean you know I've got so much more to give and uh, it's only just starting in my opinion it's only just starting, and I can't wait to see what next year holds. Every <laughs> every day, these lovely little things happen to <laughs> me, and I'm up. like, 
What will next year hold? I, I don't know, but I'm going to say yes to them all, so bring it on. That diary is going to be full. I mean, one of those things is uh, the TED Talk that we spoke, you, you've mentioned. Mm. How did that come about? How is that exciting for you? I mean, we spoke just before we were recording about that kind of, oh, that's, that's a real sign of a step, and it's something that makes you quite nervous, but it's so exciting and an opportunity at the same time. Mm. Well, the, uh, there's a little bit of irony there, because um, I applied to do a TED Talk pre-COVID, and I got down to the last 18... And they said, oh, you know, yeah, great. Well, you know, well done. You were great. But um, not this time because your your talk doesn't really fit our theme. And then I saw it again advertised this year. And it was about a week before the closing deadline. And I thought to myself, oh, Caitlin, you know, oh, what are you going to submit? Oh, you know, if maybe should I, shouldn't I? And I didn't. And the deadline passed. And... Uh, the day after the deadline, I got an email from them. <laughs> and they went, wow. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you apply? <laughs> yeah, they kind of. They said, well, are you interested in still speaking? And I was like, oh, oh, didn't see that coming. And um, you don't say no, do you? I don't say no to anything. And um, so I, I had a chat with them and um, they've given me this fantastic opportunity. And I am so glad I didn't do it a few years ago because I've had tons of speaking experience now, tons of rehearsals, self-reflection. What is the message I want to get out there? And now is the right time for Caitlin Limmer to be doing a TED Talk. And yes, I'm quietly terrified. I'm not even quietly terrified. I'm loudly terrified. But bring on January the 14th. I'm going to give it my best shot. That's so exciting. That's <laughs> so exciting. I mean, um, one of the, this January, this, this podcast we released around that sort of beginning of January and a December time when people were thinking about New Year's resolutions, as we do every year, uh, some of which we stick to, some of which, probably most of which we don't. Um, but because it's that time period, I wanted to ask you kind of what your advice would be. I'm going to ask you for a, for a separate piece of advice in a bit, but what your advice would be to people to try and make, whether it's running they want to turn their hand to and they've been inspired from this podcast and your story, if it's something else, they want to go walking twice a week, whatever it may be, how can they make it more sustainable rather than it being something they do for three or four weeks? I'm going to lose a load of weight in three weeks. I'm going to run a load of 5Ks in three weeks, four weeks, and then oh, I'm going to go back to my old routine. How can they make changes in their life more positive and more sustainable? Mm. I would say look at where you're setting your bar to start off with. So many people, when they set a goal, whether it's a physical goal, whether it's a nutrition goal, they put the bar so high up, they don't even get over the first hurdle. So I always say to people, lower that bar down. If you want to start running in January, great, brilliant, please do. But don't tell me that you're going to go running three times in that first week. <laughs> aim for once, aim for twice. Get over that hurdle, tick that box, feel proud of yourself. You won't injure yourself if you do that. You won't be demotivated and think, oh gosh, I've got to go another time. So rather than putting the bar so high, just lift the bar just slightly higher than where it is at the moment, get over it. Then the next week, lift it up again 
and just do a little bit more or do something a little bit differently. And consistency. You know, we don't have to train brilliantly or we don't have to, if it's a nutrition goal, we don't have to eat brilliantly to make significant changes. Consistency. I I often use the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle. Put that goal in the middle of the jigsaw puzzle and all the little pieces that you're going to add in there, they're all part of that final goal. You don't have to find the central picture already. Look for the blue sky bits. Look for the grass bits down the bottom. They are as important in that 500-piece jigsaw. So make those changes by all means, but be realistic. That is it's very important. I have been so excited for this conversation since we first were put in contact, first had that conversation over Zoom, and it has not disappointed at all. I'm so thankful for your time and for all of the advice and information you've given and your story. Um, I find it so inspiring, and I'm really, really looking forward to, to putting this out so people can listen. You've kind of said there's so much exciting stuff that's going to be happening next year. Where can people go to find out more information about you, what you do, all the things you're connected with and and see if they want to be part of that community? Mm, Well, I can be found on LinkedIn. I can be found on Instagram under Caitlin underscore Bearcat. I'm on Facebook. Yeah, so that's uh, all my coaching. uh, My my website is caitlinlimmer.co.uk. Yeah, come and talk to me. Let me help you make those changes. Let me help you achieve those wonderful things that you want from your life because you can, you can, and you might just need a little bit of support to get there. And those links will be in the podcast description and the article on the website outsideactive.com if you need those um, or you can just look them up on social media as you've just said. You've offered so much in this conversation. There's only one thing left for you. I offered you a piece of advice at the beginning of this podcast from Dr. Raphael. Now is your opportunity to leave a piece of advice that I will pass along to a guest coming onto the podcast in the near future. Mm. My advice would be to learn from my experience and not wait for those final 40 minutes to be given to you to make the changes that you need to make in your life, however hard they feel. Because you know what? You might not be as lucky as I was and you might not get that pioneering new surgery and you might not get that time given back to you to make those changes. So look at what those changes need to be and get some support to go and make them. I look forward to passing that along. Caitlin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast with uh, the very inspirational Caitlin Limmer. I learned a lot from this conversation. I really hope that you could too. Just ahead of Christmas and ahead of New Year's, so perfect timing for seizing life and not wasting those days that go past Thank you very much for listening and thank you to the two sponsors of this week's episode, Visit Malta and Ellis Brigham. You can check out more from them in the podcast description. Uh, Have a fantastic Christmas. Have a fantastic new year. We'll be back with more episodes in the new year and thank you very much for your support so far. Just a quick favour, if you know, you could give a little gift this Christmas and share this podcast with someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you and it will help massively.
Uh, enjoy your Christmas break. And until next time, enjoy the outdoors. Mm-hmm.